Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 29 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Now before we start, I'll do my weekly rundown of playoff baseball as it stands right now. The American League Divisional Series is all finished, with the Red Sox advancing over the Tampa Bay Rays three games to one, and the Astros making pretty easy work of the White Sox, winning the series three games to one as well. Both series saw a lot of fireworks as the Red Sox scored 26 runs to the Rays' 19 runs. The Astros, on the other hand, scored 31 runs and held the White Sox to just 18 runs. The NLDS, on the other hand, is in part still going, as the Giants and the Dodgers are going to their deciding Game 5 Thursday night. The Giants and Dodgers are so well matched that neither team could win two nights in a row. The Giants took Game 1 and Game 3, while the Dodgers took Game 2 and Game 4. So, we'll have to wait and see who takes Game 5. The Braves and Brewers series finished up on Tuesday, thanks to a clutch Freddie Freeman home run that put the Braves on top late in the ballgame. So, the Braves will play the winner of the Giants or Dodgers game in the NLCS, and the Astros will play the Red Sox in the ALCS. It's... Honestly, impossible for me to make a prediction on which of these four teams will make the World Series because, at the heart of it, all of these teams are terrifying. I mean, all of them are very capable of causing some heartache. Anyway, into the episode. Now, last week we talked about some controversial baseball. Bad games, bad umping, bad plays, and all that fun stuff. But this week, I want to talk about a few events that when they happened, were so bad that it actually turned away a lot of fans from the game of baseball. That's right, it's time to talk about strikes. Now before I dive into it, it's important to understand a few things. When a strike or a lockout happens, it usually calls for a vast cancellation of all Major League Baseball games. After these eight strikes, 1,737 regular season games have been canceled, including the entire 1994 postseason and the 1994 World Series. That's almost 11 seasons of baseball that was missed due to these lockouts. Now, I've talked to a lot of people about these lockouts and how they almost gave up on the MLB entirely, especially after the turmoil between the MLB and its players from 1990 to 1995 that we'll get into later on in the episode. However, each one of these lockouts have some sort of silver lining and come out with resolutions both sides can agree on. Well, for the most part. The first strike happened in 1972, and like pretty much all of these strikes, had to deal with money. The strike occurred from April 1st to April 13th, 1972, and ended in an agreement between the owners and the players to increase the pension fund payments, so basically an increase in retirement funds, as well as adding salary arbitration to the collective bargaining agreement as a way of resolving these salary disputes without going to court over it. However, in this time, 86 games were canceled and were never made up as the league refused to pay the players for the time that they were on strike. Most teams lost out on six to eight games from their season, 
with the exception of the Houston Astros and the San Diego Padres, who missed nine games due to the strike. The strike had a massive effect on the playoffs, as it literally helped the Detroit Tigers win out over the Boston Red Sox to win the division. You see, the Tigers ended up playing one more game than the Red Sox, giving them an 86 win and 70 loss record. The Red Sox lost out on the division with an 85 win and 70 loss record as well. It wouldn't matter, however, as the Detroit Tigers would lose out to the Oakland Athletics in the American League Championship Series, but at the same time, the Red Sox lost by half a game. The 1973 lockout happened directly from the 1972 strike, but this time, no games were missed. You see, after the previous season, the owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association decided to lock the players out of spring training in early February as they worked towards an agreement on a three-year collective bargaining agreement that clearly defined the salary arbitration process that included deciding on a neutral party to decide between the players' salary requests and what the owners were offering them. Since it was done mostly over the offseason, the spring training schedule was just shortened and no regular season games were missed. The same happened again in 1976 as another lockdown shut the players out of spring training once again. This one was a bit of a strange case as it actually involved a rather keen eye from Marvin Miller who was an American baseball executive who served as the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association from 1966 to 1982. You see, Marvin found a weakness in MLB's reserve clause, which basically states that the rights to players were retained by the team upon the contract's expiration. Or, in other words, you couldn't sign with, for example, the Dodgers if you were already serving a contract with the Giants. This clause made it so that players had little leverage if they wanted to go to another team. I mean, they were basically bound to either negotiate a new contract to play another year for the same team, or to ask to be released or traded. They had no freedom to change teams unless they were given an unconditional release. That was the only way you could become a free agent back then. Now, baseball has officially abolished this clause, and it's for the most part, been replaced by just general free agency like we have today. The owners, angry of this development, locked their players out of spring training in March, but settled down in time for a full regular season. Just four years later, however, this idea of free agency found its way to the meeting rooms once again. Well, sort of. By this time, a few other smaller things had come up, causing the players to strike the final eight days of spring training in order to push the owners and the players' association into some sort of bargaining. And, for the most part, they got what they wanted. On May 23, 1980, a preliminary four-year agreement was signed, basically covering up these smaller issues, except for the big free agency issue. You see, players wanted some sort of free agent compensation, a sort of qualifying offer that was given to teams who had lost free agents for whatever reason. And let me just put it this way. 
They didn't finalize the agreement for this until a new agreement was formed in 2012. So what is that, 32 years between when this started and when this finally kind of ended? And this brings us into the first, like, really ugly strike. You see, 1981 rolled around, and the owners were still being as stubborn as they could possibly be. And the players were not ready to back down because they had already made so much progress. The main topic was primarily the free agent compensation, to which an agreement could not be reached. The owners decided to implement a plan that called for any team who signed a free agent to relinquish a roster player and a draft pick in return. Like, that's ridiculous. So, understandably, the MLB Players Association went on strike starting June 11th and didn't resume until August 10th. Due to this, playoff teams had to be decided by first half and second half division championships, I guess, quote-unquote, which led to a really really messy and terrible end of the season. Let me put it into perspective for you. Since the playoffs weren't decided by overall records, but rather first and second half records, two of the best teams in baseball that year, the Cincinnati Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals, actually missed the playoffs. You see, the Reds had a 6-11 win percentage, and the Cardinals had a 5-78 win percentage. But in the second half of the season, both of the teams got second place in their division. The Cardinals ended up losing out on the playoffs to the Montreal Expos, who played one more game and finished with a 30-23 record. The Cardinals finished with a 29-23 record. So, even though they were the second best team in baseball, they missed the playoffs by half a game. The good news is, however, that the owners and the Players Association were able to make some sort of agreement on July 31st on a contract that would last through 1984. In that time, however, a total of 712 games had been missed, and probably many more fans with it. Four years later, in 1985, another stoppage occurred. This one only lasted two days, and the games were actually made up at the end of the season, so you know, it didn't really matter. But this one was so short because this one made sense for both sides. You see, just two years before, the MLB signed a huge TV deal, which gave a lot of money to the league. So owners and the Players Association decided to increase the pension fund and the salary arbitration cap, which was discussed a few years earlier. But again, because of this, the owners grew unhappy. Now, due to this discussion, an argument broke out at the start of the season in 1990 over, yep, you guessed it, free agency and arbitration. You see, the Players Association wanted more just even sharing of the revenue, which directly led to an agreement that saw the minimum salary for a ball player rise from $68,000 to $100,000, which is good. And actually, as a side note, Ever since this agreement was reached, the minimum player salary for Major League Baseball has increased greatly, and pretty steadily. As of 2021, the average minimum salary is up to $570,500, so a bit of an improvement to what it was. 
The final strike that we'll talk about was quite possibly one of the worst from the fans' perspective, and you can definitely tell why. You see, this strike lasted from August 11th, 1994, and didn't end until April 25th, 1995. So, in other words, the strike started right before the really exciting baseball kicked in, leading up to the playoffs, and then ended a full month after the regular season would have typically started. Oh, goodness. I mean, there was no postseason. There was no pennant winners. No division titles, no World Series, no October baseball, nothing. And even after that, it just led to a longer winter with a shortened season on the other side. Instead of a 162-game season, only 144 games were played in 1995. It would have been a terrible time to be a baseball fan, and as it kind of showed, attendance at ballgames was down a lot. TV ratings were down a lot. And honestly, the worst part about this strike is that it was just over a labor dispute. You see, at the time, the financial situation for MLB was bad. I mean, absolutely terrible. So the owners of Major League Baseball teams collectively proposed a salary cap to their players. You see, ownership felt that these small market clubs would just fall by the wayside unless teams agreed to share local broadcasting revenues to increase the equity among the teams and enact a salary cap, a proposal that the players adamantly opposed. I mean, why would they take a cap so that they can only make so much money? It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for them. So, a new proposal came across that would guarantee $1 billion in salary and benefits, but the ownership proposal also would have forced clubs to fit their payrolls into a more evenly based structure. So, in other words, putting a cap on like teams, not only just their players, but teams. Salary arbitration would have been eliminated completely. Free agency would have begun after four years rather than six, and owners would have retained the right to keep a four- or a five-year player just by matching his best offer. So even if he wanted to leave, he couldn't. And, as you can imagine, this offer was very quickly rejected. On March 25, 1995, a U.S. District Court judge issued a preliminary order against the owners on March 31st, putting an end to this kind of unfair labor practices that they were enforcing on the players. And basically, this order forced an agreement to be met once the current collective bargaining agreement had expired, so a new one could be worked out. However, a new one never was worked out, and it took until 2012 to figure it out, and only slightly. From 1995 to 2011, there were three tentative agreements that were signed in order to keep everyone happy enough until a real agreement was reached. And honestly, as it stands to this day, very few agreements have been, well, fully agreed on, and honestly, probably never will be. It's more to the point now, I feel, that owners and the players' associations just kind of find themselves at a general understanding 
and know that another strike or a lockout could really be detrimental to the future of teams, to the future of the league and baseball fans everywhere. And they're right. It'll be interesting to see the future for the MLB. That much is for sure.